Hey, welcome uh, to The Revealing. This is Pastor Frank at One Baptist Church here in Jacksonville. Uh, we hope uh, everybody is uh, staying safe and uh, enjoying their time with family at home. Uh, we know we're living through a, a, a pretty rough time, but uh, hopefully we can take this time and just uh, be able to uh, just uh, reflect on some things and, and be able to uh, remember uh, that uh, time with family is important. And uh, although, uh, you know, we're not able to get out and about, uh, being able to stay home and uh, be able to hang out uh, with our friends and family uh, is, a, is an awesome time as well. Uh, obviously, with everything that's going on, uh, we have uh, halted our recordings of The Revealing uh, and, uh, uh, you know, for the obvious reasons of staying safe. Uh, so what we thought we would do uh, for uh, the uh, uh, upcoming weeks is uh, maybe give you some... Uh, uh, some excerpts of some of our preaching that we do here at One Baptist Church in Jacksonville. Uh, what we're going to do instead of uh, uh, bringing you uh, the revealing crew, uh, we're going to take some weeks off here uh, for uh, the foreseeable future and uh, just uh, play some recordings that we've done uh, at our church uh, in One Baptist Jacks. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy those things. Uh, again, uh, stay safe, and uh, the Revealing crew will be coming back at you live here soon. Uh, so we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. I'll just wait, and that'll get us rolling. Okay, <laughs> I love it. So I'm going to start I'm gonna start talking, and whenever it comes up, it comes up. Uh, but... I, I want to ask you a question and, and see if you can answer it. This isn't a classroom. Don't raise your hand. Don't yell out. Just kind of in your heart, in your mind. Why are we seeking to, to study church history? Why are we seeking to build a biblical church history? Like, like just kind of in your mind, maybe a quick thought or, or, or whatnot, just to kind of bring us back to that place. Why are we doing that? But, but really, we began this study on church history two months ago. Uh, tonight, two months ago, uh, we are in session eight, okay? Uh, eight of probably 100, maybe, I don't know, whatever, but we'll see. But uh, two months ago, we began to study because <clears throat> Job, remember that passage in Job we talked about, chapter eight, verses eight through 10, uh, it says, uh, for inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days are upon earth, our days upon earth are a shadow. Shall not they, the former age, the, the fathers, uh, the, the past, shall not they teach thee and, and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? And really just boils down to the fact that we're doing this because God tells us to do it uh, in Job chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. And one of the things that we've gone over is the, the, the idea of history is just a repellent to, to many people. Um, and sometimes, depending on the history, but for me, you know, speaker included. Um, but we've, we have and we are seeking to use nothing but the Word of God in our study of church history. We will not need to, to leave this book. Um, we will not need to rely on other commentators or commentaries. We will not need to make assumptions. We will not need to um, guess and postulate and uh, hypothesize. We will not need to put our own slant or a, 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 um, a, a denominational bent on it. Nothing. We're strictly and specifically going to be looking at and in solely the Word of God. And so uh, the key to our study has been Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 15. Okay, that Job 8, right, that's our, our mandate, our, that's the reasoning, the rationale. And then Ecclesiastes 3.15 uh, tells us um, a very important key, and, and that is this. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. And if you ever doubted that verse or, or just thought maybe that was kind of like kind of a cool thing to say or whatever, uh, last week, if you were here or, or caught the service in one way or another, uh, that should have been the clincher for you. Because last week we saw that uh, God lays out all of human history in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And we saw last week that God also works according to a pattern. Uh, and conversely, as we've seen over these last eight weeks now, 
Uh, Satan also works a, a plan or a pattern, and that is to imitate or, or also to counter, as we've said, confound and counterfeit God's plan. Okay, And, and so um, that reason alone, because God moves and Satan counter moves, that's the reason that we have not even gotten into church history in our study of church history. Right? We're going to get there, but that's the, because we're trying to build a background, build a foundation, build an understanding, okay? so that we can figure some things out and equip ourselves for the journey. All right? uh, and, and not just a study uh, for church history, but a study for not just the past, but for our lives today. Uh, because, again, that which has been uh, is now or shall be. And so uh, we, we spent some time over the last several weeks in a, a key book in the Bible, and that is the book of Acts, uh, specifically the Acts of the Apostles, right? That is the technical name of the book. And there's a very important reason that, that I bring that out, that we know it's the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and, and it's been a key book for us because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 says that the apostles are the foundation, Okay. And I hope I made it clear last week, I hope God made it clear that we are not Jews, uh, we, we are not apostles, we do not practice apostleship today as, as, as many do, um, because the apostles were the foundation, so Christ is the chief cornerstone, the apostles were, excuse me, the foundation. And so for us, uh, because of that, this book is our foundation, and that's why we're going to use it and must use it uh, for our understanding of not just church history, but, but anything, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we've got to get a strong foundation. And, and just a quick, quick review, a lot of people miss that the book of Acts, as I think we have really laid out, is a historical book, and it is a transitional book. Okay, and uh, if you've been a part of our, our services and studies before, I think you've seen that uh, through Pastor Frank on Sunday mornings, myself on Thursdays, uh, other men that, that have taught uh, on Saturday mornings or whatnot, and other venues, maybe through your one links, you, you, you've expounded on that, maybe exhausted that. Uh, but that is so fundamental that we have got to understand, so basic, uh, really, uh, if you just let the Bible be the Bible. But it's extremely important, y'all, for us to get these, these truths and to get them rightly divided. And we won't get that if we don't understand uh, that the Acts of the Apostles is not a book uh, uh, of New Testament church doctrine. Okay, There is a huge transition taking place. We can and do apply things from the book of Acts as long as we're in the right place. And as long as we are rightly dividing, and, and, and all Scripture, by the way, as we know, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Uh, so devotionally speaking, always, right, we can apply this book to our lives, and we should. And in the book of Acts, there was a very important chapter that we talked about, chapter 1, a very fundamental chapter that we, we have to make sure we understand because the key to understanding the book of Acts is indeed understanding uh, the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that, that's key, that's critical. And it was in Acts chapter 1, just as a quick reminder, when Jesus, after his resurrection, before his ascension uh, to heaven, is spending uh, time with his boys, and he's talking with them, and walking with them, and he's teaching them, and he's he's opening their eyes and expounding all things unto them uh, of the scriptures that teach of him, and showing them all these things. I mean, the God of the universe is is is, <laughs> is their speaker. You, you're stuck with me tonight. They had the Lord, <laughs> so so you know they were getting the good stuff, okay? And 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 it says that Jesus was teaching them all things that pertain to uh, the kingdom of God, and. A few verses later, they're like, and when, Jesus, by the way, will you restore the kingdom unto Israel? And, and a lot of people we discuss look at that and say, those silly boys, they weren't even listening. They're so hard-headed, they don't get it. But the, key, the point is, they were asking about, or they were talking about two different kingdoms there. and They understood the things of the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus, we've got that. And that's important because God is teaching them. He, he's not the author of confusion. When you have God walking with you, even if you are hard-headed like I am, it, he, he supernaturally opened their eyes and their understanding. So you know that they got it. But they still asked about a kingdom. It was the kingdom of heaven, a physical kingdom. And we spent a lot of time last week and I think probably the week after talking about, um, and we're going to do a little more tonight actually, uh, of those two kingdoms as the Bible opens and how they relate to each other. Um, but these kingdoms are indeed the theme of the Bible, okay? We, we, we've got to get that. I was just talking to someone the other day 
uh, about this very thing. And, and I know we know this, but um, as important as the cross of Christ is, as important as the blood of Jesus is, as important as our salvation is, those are maybe the things that are most important to us, right? We come to this Bible, and we, we read it, and we look at it, and we're like, man, this is, this, this is what's important to me. But what's important to us isn't always and often isn't what's important to him. And what's important to him is his glory. And it's the throne that Jesus Christ is going to sit on and reign from. And so these kingdoms are the theme of the Bible. And not just the end of the Bible, not just the beginning, but yes and yes, but everything in between. As we, we're, and we're going to, over the next couple of weeks or so, we'll, we'll look at, we'll kind of get a, a jet tour over the Bible and, and see these things unfolding. And we've got to figure out God's plan. Like, that's what we're trying to do here. And for most people, it's, it's like being dropped into the middle of a football stadium, if you remember the days when you could go to a football game. And they, you're just dropped out of outer space, and you're looking around, and there's like 50,000 people that are just cheering and wearing certain colors, and some have their shirts off, and, and some are big holding signs, and some are, you know, acting crazy. And, and way down, there's this green ground, and, and there's people with these hard things on their heads, and they're running back and forth and tackling each other and jumping up, and, and there's this pigskin-shaped whatever, and they're trying to get it to all these different places, and, and then people start cheering when they cross it over a certain line, and you're like, what is going on? And, and if you don't know the game, if you don't know the objective, if you don't know what's, what's happening before you, you're completely lost. And, and, and for most people in the 21st century, that's what the Bible is to them. And I don't mean lost people. I'm talking about Christians. And so uh, God's threefold plan, like we talked about this, right? God's threefold plan for, for the universe, for the earth, and, and for your life uh, is, is nothing more, and we're not minimizing it by saying this, but it really is the establishment and the fulfillment of these two kingdoms, Okay, and again, we spent a lot of time unpacking why the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of heaven. Uh, biblically speaking, we let God define that for us by comparing Scripture with Scripture, and He showed us that these are indeed two different kingdoms. And so the Bible, from beginning to end and everything in between, as I said, is all about a throne. Okay, and it's all about that throne in the millennial kingdom and, and Satan wanting to exalt his throne. And, and the question for us practically is, who's, who is on the throne of our lives, right? And, and again, we've unpacked a lot of those things in times past. And as I said, uh, these kingdoms are not the same. Uh, and, and I keep beating that horse. And there's a lot of things so far in this study that I feel like I've just been so repetitive on. And you're probably like, okay, next. But I, I don't want to assume, and I don't want you to assume that just because you've heard that or because we've talked about it a little bit that uh, means that, okay, I've got it, we can move on. Um, it's that important that we understand this. And so we're going we're gonna to really unpack this. Uh, we're going to make, uh, excuse me, take a, a tour through the Bible tonight, or, or at least the first few chapters anyway, and um, see how these two kingdoms unfold. Uh, because a, a lot of, a lot, again, a lot of Christians today, I think, just make a lot of assumptions or, or just take what they're taught or what they're told and just kind of run with that. And, and I'm asking you, uh, I, I'm telling you, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't even do that with me or, or Pastor Frank, and, right? And, and I think you know that you have two pastors that, um, that encourage you and, and, and <laughs> everything we can but force you to go back to the Scriptures and, and see if these things be so. And, and so please, please do that. Uh, but as we've said, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, and the kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical, visible kingdom, okay? <clears throat> this is that kingdom in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 that was uh, also called uh, the, the kingdom of Israel or is promised to the nation of Israel. And I'm just kind of quickly going over some of these things uh, for, from a review standpoint, and I just kind of want to stop right here for just a moment and offer some keys to help us make a distinction between the spiritual kingdom of God and then the literal physical kingdom of heaven. We've got to see them from his perspective, okay? And that's what I was kind of talking about earlier. Heaven, the kingdom of heaven, 
doesn't mean heavenly. Okay, we think that, we, we treat the word as such, and sometimes it could be, uh, it, maybe even in our modern day vernacular. But when the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven, the word heaven doesn't mean heavenly, right? We know the Bible teaches there are three heavens, the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. And those first two heavens, are they spiritual heavens? Are they? No, they're physical, aren't they? There are physical, in the first heaven, the Bible teaches is the, the birds and the, the you know, fowl of the air and, and just things that in, in our atmosphere, that's a physical realm though it's called heaven, the first heaven. The second heaven, the, the cosmos, uh, the deep, as the Bible calls it, what do you have in the second heaven there? Planets, asteroids, comets, stars, right? all things that are physical. So let's not just assume heaven means heavenly. We've got to use his definitions uh, by compa- comparing spiritual with spiritual. And so if we're going to understand this conversation in Acts chapter 1 about the two kingdoms, we've got to backtrack to the beginning. And we started, uh, we started doing that a couple weeks ago, um, but last week, uh, we, we did it last week as well, but it was kind of like an addendum, uh, kind of a, a timeout to, to set some things up. Uh, but I want to take us back because two, it was two weeks ago when we started talking about Lucifer, how he was reigning from the Garden of Eden um, and he was doing that until iniquity was, iniquity was found in him and, and, and all of those things. And so I want to take us back to trace the, the, the kingdoms uh, of God and of heaven uh, in eternity past in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And so <clears throat> we see there in the Bible, it says in the beginning, of course, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Okay, so let's just stop right there for a moment. So what we have here, y'all, is a physical earth that has been created uh, with spiritual beings that are inhabiting it, right? Job chapter 38 and verse 7 says Job, or God is, is really putting Job in his place. And where was thou when I, I formed the foundations and created the earth and, and all those things? And, and he says, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. And so you have a physical creation, but it's being inhabited by spiritual beings. So you already you have that dynamic there. And the Bible opens up with God reigning as the king over these kingdoms. And you see this time and time again in Scripture, especially in the Psalms. Psalms 10, verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Uh, Psalm 24 and verse 8, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Psalm 74 and verse 12, for God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. And so you have the kingdom of heaven, again, this physical planet, and then you have the kingdom of God, those spiritual beings, those, those morning stars, those sons of God. And when Lucifer fell, uh, God judges the earth, right? We talked about that. And what happens is he moves into space. He moves into that second heaven, into that, the deep, as it were. And he occupies the second heaven. And really, that's why Job uh, talks about... Mm, I didn't put those. You should write down in your notes Job chapters 15, verse 15, and Job 25 and verse 5. Uh, hey, there they are. Cool. Job fifteen fifteen. Uh, look at this. He says the heavens are not clean in his sight. What's? Why would that be? Uh, Job twenty five five. Again, the stars are not pure in his sight. Okay. And, and then all of a sudden, Genesis chapter one and verse two, and the spirit of God moved upon the face. Of the waters, and so we spent significant time, y'all, talking about why why it's not in God's nature, it's not in God's character to create um, a a a planet, a world, a universe that is without form and void. Isaiah forty five eighteen, he says, "I created it not in vain," and it doesn't re- that doesn't reflect His glory. It doesn't reflect His His nature, and so uh, we can't just assume, you know, it, it, if so, then. Um, his nature 
is light, right? In him, God is light, in him is no darkness. So he would have had to have said, let there be darkness. But no, he said, let there be light, because something happened where there wasn't light. Um, and so after Lucifer's fall on the recreated earth, so, so that's where we have Genesis 1, 3 through 2, 7, and we unpacked a lot of that last week. Um, the point is, y'all, God still has a plan that he is working to carry out, that he intends to carry out. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 31, God takes six days to recreate the earth to get it ready to accomplish his plan for the entire universe. And one of the points that we um, really uh, pounded last week was to, to remember and to keep your eye on that seventh day because God is doing something with that seventh day. And so on that sixth day, though, what God does is he creates a new king, and this is kind of where we're going to go in our study tonight, he creates a new king that he is going to put in authority over the kingdoms, and his name is Adam. And this is a key that I believe most Christians miss. This is a very critical piece of information because most Christians, y'all, walk through the Bible, through the creation account of man, and, and they have no clue why God would even create him. Why would God put him there? Maybe it was for recreation. Maybe God was lonely. Maybe God just was like, you know, I want some people to worship me today. Like, why would God put man on this planet and specifically put him where he put him? And, and, and a lot of times, and that may not be like what, they, what people physically think, but, though it could be, but like we just kind of peruse through that. And we don't really stop and think and, and read it and ask questions. And the point is that God had already enacted a plan long, long before he put Adam in the garden. There was already a plan in place, and Adam was just a continuation of that plan. And so God judges the earth and based on Lucifer's fall, and that plan was temporarily put on hold, uh, but Adam comes along and that plan gets picked up. It's very much like uh, God's transitions uh, in the Old Testament in the book of Acts and to the New Testament, how he transitions from the church, or excuse me, from uh, Israel to the church. It's just like that. Like God is still working his plan. He's just using a different vehicle. And that plan has always revolved around the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and it always will. And, and this is so important because the result of not understanding this key, what will happen is that, as I kind of alluded to a minute ago, most Christians just think uh, that, that God said one day, well, I think I'll just speak a universe into existence and, and, and put some, some creatures on there, a man and a woman and on this planet called Earth, and, and you know, we'll just kind of see what happens. And again, I don't think anyone like maybe physically or literally thinks that, but I think that's about as deep as, as most Christians' understanding of the Bible or of Genesis 1 and 2 goes. That's about, about as deep as it goes. And, and that's why most people don't understand what God's plan was, uh, so they don't know what God's plan is, and they don't know what God's plan is going to be. And they don't know what God, where God was, and so they don't know where God is, and they don't know where he's going because uh, they get lost in the fields of the fatherless. Proverbs 22 and, and 23, we talked about that. And what's scary about being in the fields of the fatherless is uh, thinking, like if you're in a field, and you, 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 it's one thing to realize you're lost. Even if you're, if you're driving somewhere, it's one thing to know, okay, I have no idea where I am. And so you, you can maybe try to rectify that. But it's another thing to, to, to be driving along, happy-go-lucky, and think you're on the path to Orlando because you're going to Disney, but really you're, you're heading to Atlanta. And you have no idea where you're going, and you don't even realize it. And what do you do? You continue going the way you're going. And really, you're deceived. I see some people smiling. Like, maybe that's happened before. I don't know. I'm seeing some like relatable smiles. Others are like, no, I've never been lost a day in my life. That's awesome. 
Um, and, and that's that's why this is so important. And so we un, we've got down the what part. I think as Christians today, we understand the what. We know what we believe, right? We could regurgitate information and maybe maybe some scripture references here and there, but I don't know that we understand why we believe what we believe. And so Genesis one twenty six is a very key understanding uh, in, of, of or very key verse in understanding God's prophecy about creating man. Because Genesis one twenty six tells us that God created man in his image and his likeness. There was a very specific and particular way that God created him. And it was in his image and in his likeness. And by his, I, I mean the triune God. And, and you see that really fulfilled in chapter 2 and verse 7, where he says, or it says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. There's that, that body and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, his spirit, and man became a living soul. And so that dust of the ground, as we said, is the body, uh, and that is in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the breath of life is the spirit uh, in the likeness of the Holy Spirit of God. And then man, it says, becomes a living soul, of course, in the likeness of the Father. And so right from the beginning, y'all, man becomes a trichotomy or a trinity, just like God, in his image, after his likeness. And here's the key. God gives Adam the crowns over both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And that's why God is placing him in Eden, to take authority and to have dominion. Doesn't he tell him to, ha- to do that? To have authority over the kingdoms that Lucifer relinquished uh, in his fall, in his pride. And, and, and it's because somebody has already been in Eden, right? That was Lucifer. Ezekiel chapter 28 talks about that. We spent some time there a couple weeks ago. And so what we see here is Adam is king over the kingdom of God. Okay, and we'll unpack this here. Uh, because Adam is a spiritual being, all right? He, he is made in the image of God. Okay, he has a physical body, right? But he, he is a spiritual being. Just like we, once we get saved, John chapter 1 and verse 12 tells us we become, he gives us the power to become sons of God. Our, our life, our bodies are quickened, or excuse me, our, our spirits and our souls are quickened, and he gives us the authority, the power to become the sons of God. So we are physical beings, yet we are spiritual beings in a physical body, okay? Before Christ, we're just physical beings, dead, right? Spiritually dead. Uh, But Adam is the son of God. And this is a very important term for us to get tonight, okay? And I'm not just throwing that around flippantly. Luke chapter three and verse 38 tells us uh, that Adam was the Son of God, okay? Not the capital S, Son of God, not the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was the Son of God. And I need you to grab on to that and don't let go of it because that's going to become very important for us. Uh, Adam is a spiritual being and he's made in the image of God and he's made for the purpose of reigning over the kingdom of God, that spiritual kingdom. And not only is it just Adam, but Adam, or excuse me, God gives him a help that is meat for him, M-E-E-T, that is helpful, that is useful, that is necessary for him. And as a king, he gives him a, a wife, as it were, a queen in this kingdom. You got an amen back there. And God already has a special plan for Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Uh, I, I say Mr. and Mrs. Adam because Genesis 5-2 uh, tells us that, uh, that um, he called their name Adam, right? It's very much like when, when, when April and I got married, uh, she, she ceased to be known as April Crosby, and she became not just April Engel, but Mrs. Robert Engel, right? And that's what happens. And that, why do we do that? Where do we get that? It comes from, from Scripture. Um, but so God already has a special plan for them, 
And, and that plan is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And, and what God does is he doesn't just let them kind of hang out in the garden and kind of just do whatever they want to do. He gives them a very special commission. Uh, he is king over the... So, so okay, man, y'all need to get a new... Um, Associate pastor. So uh, he is king over the kingdom of God. We talked about that. But he's also king over the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I think I'm on, back tra- on track here because I should have Genesis 126. Yes. And so here's why he's king over the kingdom of heaven because God puts him in dominion over, look at all these physical creatures, the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, um, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth, upon the earth and so essentially for us to understand this commission he's basically or excuse me i keep wanting to look down further okay i'm okay i am okay a king y'all has dominion just as adam had dominion and and he had dominion over things that are physical as we just saw in genesis 126 and he has it over all the earth and so now, God has a special plan for Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Um, and, and it's the fulfillment of the kingdom of God and, and the kingdom of heaven and God's plan as it pertains to those. And what God was intending is for a commission to be given to them. Okay, That's what God, he gave them a job to do together, a co-mission. All right, in Genesis 1.28... Yes, God blessed them, and he said, look, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Essentially, God is saying, I want you to fill the earth with a sinless race of people who will willingly choose to worship and to glorify me because they love me all right and i want you to realize that the earth has already been inhabited though right we we unpack that a little bit uh there has already been a king over which he has ruled over the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of god and there have already been sons of god on the planet and so now god puts adam there as the new king and gives him the job of filling it with sons of god who will worship praise and love him And at this point, Adam has the ability, watch this, to populate the kingdom with sons of God himself, right? I mean, he obviously needs Eve, his help, okay? But this is something Lucifer could not do. Lucifer could not populate the the, um, uh, more sons of God and uh, over the kingdom of God uh, himself. They were given by, they were created by God. He, he, Adam had something, the ability to do something that Lucifer did not have. And that is an astounding privilege. And it must have been a, quite a blow to Lucifer, by the way, uh, because um, man, everything was perfect in this kingdom. God, uh, Adam had everything that he needed for a successful reign as the new king over this kingdom. But there's an enemy in the midst. And kind of like I was saying about, you know, people who read through the creation account, we get to Genesis 3, and, and we see this serpent. Why is he so mad? Why, why is he trying to tempt? Why is he trying to beguile? How did he get to be the serpent? Like, did Satan, I mean, did he just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm Satan. I better go tempt someone today. Like, no. Like, what's going on here? And, and remember, this used to be his domain before he fell. Um, and before, so before God placed Adam in the garden, Lucifer made himself God's enemy. Ezekiel twenty-eight thirteen and fifteen tell us that. And as soon as God took Adam from the dust of the ground in Genesis chapter two and verse seven, uh, and gave him dominion over the kingdoms, he immediately and automatically was the sworn enemy of Satan. That is why the serpent has such beef with Adam. And Eve. He is the sworn enemy of them because he is in his former territory, doing his former job, having the privileges that he once held. But not only that, he is doing so 
with an ability to reproduce other sons of God in God's image that will love him and worship him because they love him, because they love God. And, and as, as he did once before, he, he got jealous, he got prideful, so he had to do something about it. And so Satan immediately sets his sights on opposing God's plan through Adam. He immediately gets his plan in place. And what he does is he approaches the woman in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 6. And, and I'm calling her the woman because she wasn't called Eve until after the fall. So he approaches the woman, and Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 says that she saw, uh, the woman saw that there was a tree, it was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Man, it had, had all the stuff. And so what did she do? She took of the fruit thereof, and she ate, and then she gave it to her husband, and he ate. And right then and there, the result of that was Genesis 2.17. God said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Listen, this new king that God put in place if you can imagine, quote, he had such high hopes for, if you will. He, he equipped him with everything that he needed, more than, more than what he could have ever probably even imagined. Gave him a, a woman, gave him, the gave him the authority and the dominion and charge, I mean, naming everything. And not only that, I mean, it was perfect. I mean, his relationship with Eve they didn't wake up with morning breath. They didn't fight over one single, incy, tiny, insignificant thing. There were no bills. They, yeah. They, 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 they didn't like have to walk through thorns. You know, you, you know, you're you're running or you're walking, and you get those little spurs or stickers or whatever on your feet or your socks. Yeah, that. They didn't have to do that. I mean, they, they didn't have to worry about um, bad weather. They didn't have to worry about their plans changing. The car never broke down. Like, I mean, everything was perfect. God had given them everything. And, and I'm trying to paint this picture because from a practical standpoint, God has given us everything that we need as sons of God to complete the mission that he has called us to. From, from a spiritual standpoint, I mean, right here alone, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And yet we, just like Adam, we find a way to squander it, we find a way to, to waste, to be negligent, to be disobedient. And so the result there, Genesis 2.17, thou shalt surely die, and we know that Adam didn't right then and there physically die. God could not have been talking uh, solely about a physical death because Adam didn't die for another 900 years approximately. Now, he began to die, but God's talking about spiritually. He died spiritually. And what that means, y'all, is that he lost the image of God. Right? We, I think we... we in, we kind of throw that around sometimes. We just say, oh, he died spiritually, not physically. What does that mean to die spiritually? Well, he lost God's image that he had. He lost it. It was no longer his. So he couldn't produce other sons of God anymore. He couldn't produce offspring in God's image. Genesis 5, 1 through 3 is very clear about that because it was after uh, Adam's likeness and after Adam's image that he begat a son named Seth. Not after God's image. Not after God's likeness. Why? Because he'd already fallen. He'd lost that image. He had relinquished the crown. That's why Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, uh, again, practically speaking, says, Wherefore, as by one man, King Adam, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That is why we have that, that is our 
great, 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 infinity, great grandfather right there. And we've inherited that, that sin nature and that fallen image. That's why we are born into this world needing to be born again, John chapter 3. Needing a spiritual birth. And before he fell, Adam was able to populate the earth with sons of God. Uh, but just like Lucifer, iniquity was found in him, and, and as a result, he lost the ability to reproduce sons of God in God's image, and he forfeited control of the kingdom of God. He, he gave it up. And, you know, again, I, I can't help but think how much I have given up because I saw something that was pleasing to the eye, that I thought would make me wise, that I thought maybe God was trying to withhold from me so that, that I, I could maybe just kind of make my own way. And then come to find out, it just it yielded nothing but death. Maybe death of a relationship, death of a um, authority, death of, uh, you know, whatever it might be. All the while not realizing that we are forfeiting control of our lives, so to speak. We are forfeiting uh, the, the commission that he has called us to. And so it's at this point, the kingdom of God, it goes out. The crown goes off. When Adam loses the crown to the kingdom of God, no man can wear it again. Grab this and circle it. No man can wear that crown as the, the king over the kingdom of God unless that man is made in God's image. And by all accounts, it looks like it's not going to happen because from Adam on, men are reproducing and women are reproducing offspring after their image, after their kind. And so the kingdom of God goes out and it doesn't return, y'all, until Jesus shows up again. Okay, this is why over and over in the New Testament, we see 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Jesus is the image of of God. What does that mean? Why does he say that? Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1:3 again speaking of Jesus, he is the express image of his person. And this is why 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus Christ the second Adam or the last Adam. Because from Adam to Jesus, there is no kingdom of God on the earth in the human sense. There is no more kingdom of God because there is no more image of God on the earth. But God promises that one will come. Right there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will, he, he's throwing out the punishments, y'all. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In other words, there will be a son of God on the earth again. There will be a second Adam. And, and while we're here, there, there are three major prophecies uh, pertaining to this verse. We see where uh, God speaks of her seed. Uh, that is oh so important because uh, it is the virgin birth. All right, and why the virgin birth is so important <laughs> has everything to do with what we're talking about tonight. Because if, if Jesus was simply conceived by natural means with an earthly father and an earthly mother, he is no, long, no more in the image of God than anyone else on this planet when they were born. So the virgin birth had to, be, uh, had to take place. Without Jesus, there is no image of God. There is no son of God without this virgin birth. But then he goes on and talks about thou, Satan, shall bruise his Christ heel. And that's the cross. And then he says, it shall bruise thy head, speaking to Satan. And that is speaking of the resurrection, uh, ultimately the second coming. And so we have the, this kingdom of God that Adam has lost, right? The image of God, okay? I think we kind of got that. Uh, but then uh, think about the kingdom of heaven, because I want you to notice, because uh, remember, that they're both coexisting here. Uh, they were. Uh, after Adam's fall, what does God do with Adam? Uh, he, he does, uh, but he, he leaves him on the earth anyway, right? He, he kicks him out of the garden for sure, but he doesn't just translate him up to heaven or anything like that. He leaves him on the earth. He didn't die physically yet. 
He still has dominion. At this time, he still has dominion over the earth. Watch Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Here's what God says to Adam. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I command thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. See, Adam is still going to kind of hang around on the earth. Verse 18, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the, of the herb of the field. All this stuff is, is physical, it's on the earth. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And, and so uh, we could say that the kingdom of heaven is still in his possession, right? But the crown, so to speak, is no longer, is, he's not wearing it. It's not on his head. It's more so in his hands, if you will, right? Uh, there's a struggle that begins to take place, okay? Adam is still on the earth, but things aren't really like they were. It's different. He's not ruling and reigning. God's still working his plan, but Adam isn't in the position that he used to be. And so Adam is holding on to that crown, but, but someone else has his hand on it too. And that struggle begins. And from this point in the Bible, man's fall all the way to the birth of Christ, the, the next 4,000 years, is nothing more than a study of the kingdom of heaven. That is what's going on through all the Old Testament. It's the battle for the kingdom of heaven. God is moving his plan and Satan counters and to move his in a counter counterfeit and confound that plan. And so, so just from a, and next week, uh, I think it's next week, we're probably going to uh, try to look at some, how this battle for the kingdom of heaven unfolds. Uh, just, again, kind of a, a fly-by uh, cursory glance. Um, we're, we're not going to spend weeks and weeks upon this because um, we, are, <laughs> we are getting to our study on church history uh, proper. But, but I want to just kind of draw your attention to what's going on here in these first five chapters in the book of Genesis. Okay, so we have Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, chapters 1 and 2. Uh, God is setting up the kingdom. The kingdoms, right? But but uh, specifically the kingdom uh, of God. And so, chapter three, uh, Satan tries to destroy it. Chapter four, he tries to take it over. There's a little something going on there with uh, Cain and Abel. And then chapter five, we have a genealogy or a timeline that lets us know uh, over 1,600 years have passed. Right, millions uh, and millions of people are on the earth, or on the planet at this time. And then we move into Genesis chapter 6, where Satan is counterfeiting God's kingdom. And this is where I want to draw your attention uh, for the rest of our time this evening. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, uh, starting there in verse 1. Um, but I hope as we go through some of these things, that uh, this may kind of illuminate and help you understand more about what was going on here with uh, what's happening in Genesis chapter 6 leading up to the flood, uh, Noah's flood. So look at verse 1 there. Um, I didn't put them up here. Genesis 6 verse 1, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So, real quick, just to recap, you have these sons of God. You have the daughters of men, and we'll unpack this in a moment. And, and, and the sons of God are, are taking these women and, and uh, their offspring. Uh, they're, they're, they're having sexual relations with them. And the offspring is what verse 4 says, these giants, these mighty men, these men of renown. Verse 5, and God saw that the, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only Evil continually, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. 
the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. I just want to draw your attention real quick. We can't go down this, this path, but notice how God destroys all flesh there. He destroys everything, not just man. He destroys the animals. Why would he destroy the animals? He destroys the fowl. Why would he want to destroy the fowl? Okay, so all flesh. He, he's destroying everything, all right? Not just man. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And, and look down there. Um, Verse 11, uh, the earth was also, or also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Okay. Whew. All right, let's see where we're going here. Okay. Uh, so real quick, I just kind of want to, to fast forward to the flood and then, then go back to Genesis 6. All right, I want you to remember w what was really happening here, all right? Why the flood, okay? So first of all, we have to remember God's original plan, all right? So we're, again, we're kind of backtracking, then we're going to kind of get here. Uh, God's original plan, to have sons of God inhabit this planet who will praise and worship him. All right, a kingdom, as Romans fourteen seventeen says, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of joy. That's what the Bible says the kingdom of God is, right? That spiritual kingdom, it is within us as, as believers in Christ, as sons of God. Okay, so that was God's original plan. But then I also want you to remember that both Lucifer and Adam had reigned over these kingdoms, right? But Adam had one ability that Lucifer did not have. And this is why I alluded to that earlier. Adam had one ability that Lucifer didn't have, and that was to populate the kingdom himself. So how might we expect Satan to counterfeit God's kingdom and to counter God's redemptive plan through the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, so he could confound God's plan altogether? Okay, so we're going to backtrack here through Genesis 6. Um, it's not going to be super, super lengthy, I promise. Uh, but I want to hit some things just to submit for your consideration. Uh, Genesis 1, uh, excuse me, Genesis 6 and verse 2. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So who are these sons of God? Who are these sons of God? Okay, there are two lines of reasoning. One's right, one's wrong. Uh, but um, a lot of people will tell you that the, the sons of God are what is, uh, you know, the, the quote-unquote believers, as we would think today, the, the godly line of Seth. Okay, but there is nothing godly about what's going on in this passage, number one. Okay, Number two, if, if you have a, a, let's say, a godly individual, and then let's just say, so that's the son of God, and then the daughters of men, and they have a baby, you're not going to get what you see there in Genesis 6, 4. And 6, you're not going to get, you're just going to get a regular baby. You don't get something weird, okay? So it's not, there's not just something natural or physical that's going on here, okay? So the ability that Adam had and lost was to produce sons of God, right? We got that. In Genesis 5, Adam begat sons of men. Okay? So they are not the offspring of Adam. All right? Adam could no longer produce sons of God per the fall. So to say that this was, these are just believers or, or godly men, and I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing this because if, if you, you talk to, to, go search a commentary, this is what you'll find. That it was the godly line of godly line of Seth. Okay, now um, 
I don't care what anyone thinks they are, myself included, because the Bible tells us what and who they are. And so let's look and see what the Bible says. Uh, Job chapter 38, verse 7, as I referenced earlier, talks about the sons of God that shouted for joy. When did they shout for joy? Bueller. At what? At the creation of the earth. Was there any man around at the creation? No, there was not. And so there these spiritual beings, Job chapter 1 and verse 6 says that the sons of God would present themselves before the Lord with Satan. Oh, well, then it must be the godly men. There was Satan. That makes sense if you don't think about it. Satan and these sons of God would come to present themselves before the Lord in both Job 1 and Job 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, talk about how God, uh, if he spared not, look at this, the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, watch it, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah. Ah, oh, there's, a, there's a flag. So our attention ought to be drawn to Genesis Six, seven, eight, right where the flood is going on. Spared, um, uh, where are you, Robert? Um, Save Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Okay, so so something to do with with these angels that sinned was a cause for this flood. And Jude verses six and seven. Uh, talk about these angels again, which kept not their first estate, but they left their own habitation. And so when you compare Scripture with Scripture, you find that these angels or the, these sons of God are the fallen angels. I think I heard someone say it earlier. They are fallen angels. Now, that phrase fallen angels uh, is nowhere to be found in your King James Bible, by the way. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, we understand them as fallen angels, right? I'm just letting you know that that term in and of itself uh, is not there, but they are those angels that left their first estate, those sons of God that fell with Lucifer. And what did they do? What did they seek to do? Verse 2, they, uh, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, that means they were hot, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So they took wives of the daughters of men. Okay. Now, someone might be thinking, uh, if you're thinking, not that you're not, but you know, if, if you're tracking with me, uh, boy, aren't angels sexless? Right? Like, doesn't Jesus say in Matthew twenty-two thirty? Uh, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven? It does. But a couple things. Uh, number one, these sons of God were not in heaven. Where are they? On the earth. Number two, it, it, look at the text. It's not saying that they got hitched to these women. They didn't marry them. They took wives, women that were wives, and took them. They abducted them. They raped them. That is what is going on here. Okay? Angels uh, are not given in marriage, right? Of course not. These sons of God had no interest in walking down the aisle. There's something far greater going on. And so Jude says that they left their own habitation and they entered sexual relations with these women. And the result was the offspring, those mighty men, those giants, those men of renown. Those men that the children of Israel said, I think it was in the book of Numbers, when Joshua and Caleb send 12 in and 12 come back, is that right? Yeah. And the 10, is that, am I right? And the 10 say, uh, we're like grasshoppers. How are we like grasshoppers? How can David try to fight against 
a giant like Goliath. Was he really a giant, or was that just something the Bible kind of uses to say uh, David was a short dude and, and you know Goliath was taller than him? No, he was a giant. Mm. And you know these these giants, um, Nephilim, they look human, right? I mean, so they're tall, right? You know, super tall. They look human, but they have they're not human. They have superhuman powers. And in Ecclesiastes, I'm just trying to kind of just, this is for funsies. Ecclesiastes 3.15 says, that which hath been is now. And it's interesting that today we, we have a, an obsession as a culture with superhumans that come from other planets for, I don't hate Thor, I don't hate these Marvel guys. I'm just saying. Like, see where the, where's all this coming from? That look human but have superhuman powers. You have this, this hybrid of a bat and a man, of a spider and a man, of a wonder woman, of an aqua man. Where are these things coming from? That which hath been shall be. And, and, and so it's not my, my intention tonight to, to unpack Genesis chapter 6 and, and all of this, but I want you to see how this plays a pivotal role in Satan's countering of God's plan. That's what he's trying to do. And so just to kind of, if we can compare this and, and, and we'll land it here. In God's kingdom, I, I put a chart there for you, I think, slash hope. If I remember correctly, in God's kingdom, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, he was trying to populate the earth with sons of God who would do what? To love and to worship him. And Satan's counter there in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, was to populate the earth with sons of God, but fallen sons of God. Right? His plan is to always count. He, he wants to imitate but he's going to counter and counterfeit. It's not going to be the real thing. Uh, God's kingdom, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, says it's a kingdom of righteousness. Satan's counterfeit is a kingdom of wickedness, Genesis 6 and verse 5 says. God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Again, Romans 14, 17. Satan's counterfeit, uh, Genesis 6, 13, is a kingdom of violence. In God's kingdom, man's heart is filled with joy. Uh, in Satan's counterfeit kingdom, every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil, continually. So what does God do? He wipes it out. But you know, God still has a plan. Because look, Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. I, I kind of I read through it earlier, kind of trying to get it in, but I want you to watch. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. And Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. What does that not say? It does not say that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. It, in his generation, like in 2020, he, he was the best guy around. That's not what that's saying. In his generations, plural. In his gene-orations. His genes, his DNA, it, his, his bloodline, it wasn't corrupted with those sons of God that came to take the daughters of men. And that's why Noah found grace. It wasn't because he was just the best dude in town, because he was God's favorite, because he didn't have a, a, a polluted or a tainted bloodline from everything that was going on. And so God's next move is Noah and the flood. And God starts over with a new king, King Noah. And that's where we'll, we'll pick up next week. But before you put everything away, just... Don't miss this practical application. John chapter 1 and verse 12. 
in Christ, you are a son of God. All these things that we've talked about, as sons of God, you are a son of God. And just like God had a commission, a mission for both Adam and Eve, God has a mission or a really a commission that he is, is calling you to to partner with him. And it's nothing different than what it was for Adam in the garden to populate the earth with sons of God by through the second Adam and the seed of the word of God by sharing the gospel with people. And Satan is working to get you derailed from that plan, to get you to be more concerned, listen, about your kingdom. Some of you have already checked out, I can tell. Listen, your kingdom and my kingdom pale in comparison. And there is, there is nothing that we should be more occupied with than the kingdom of God. Okay, now we have our own stuff going on and that, that's fine. But man, we ought to be leveraging everything we can in our kingdoms to submit to his and to be used by him for the furtherance of his. Because some of us have been derailed off that for a while probably, and we don't even realize it. Or maybe we do. We're kind of just, we're just chilling where we are. We're just doing what we do. 